Morning, morning. So, I've been decorating a lot of my house this week, and I've discovered, as I'm sure many of you do, you paint one wall a glorious white, and then you look at the wall next to it, and you're like, that's not so white, is it? And it turns out there are 22 different sorts of white. What a pain. Dulux, Bolt, Farrow and Bull, whoever they are, they've got some answers. They've got some questions they need to answer. Anyway, you'll, you'll all be relieved to hear, oh, thanks, Han, that the, um, the ceiling in my conservatory is now painted. I know you're all worried about that, <laughs> but there, there we go. So, awkward conversations is what we're talking about today. What's your most awkward conversation that you've ever had to have? I had to fire someone once. That was pretty bad. Um, but, you know, we, we're British. We don't like social awkwardness. I, uh, John and I were once on a course about philanthropic giving, and this guy was there, and he was talking about discipleship courses that he runs with mature Christians in his church. And he was saying people are more comfortable talking about their porn addictions than they are about how they spend their money. And I'm like, oh, that's just a lot of awkward conversations right there, isn't it? Oh, yeah. So today, we are going to talk about awkward conversations. Psalm 51, which um, I will be clicking to in a minute. Thanks, Ben. That's super. Psalm 51 comes about as the result of Nathan speaking to David. Um, 2 Samuel, chapter 11. David... Um, has sent his armies off to battle. He's at home, stood on the uh, roof of his palace. He looks over, he sees a lady, and he says, oh, quite fancy a bit of that. So he does. And then there's an unexplained, well, no, it's very explicable. There is a pregnancy <laughs> as a result. There's a pregnancy as a result. And then this spiral of sin gets a bit out of control. He ends up having to kill one of his best men, his, um, one of his oldest kind of friends, Uriah the Hittite, who's in his fighting men, this group of 37 men who have been fighting with David since the very beginning. And um, he has to kill him because he wanted his wife. And uh, Nathan comes along and via a proverb goes, <coughs> Oi, buster. You are busted. I know what's going on here. That's got to take some guts, doesn't it? And as a result, we get this fantastic, incredible psalm, which is quite, it's actually quite difficult to study because there have been so many songs based on this. Creating me. Anyway, I'm not going to. Um, but it's just like there's all these songs that have come out as a result. It's quite hard to focus without having a little... I'll sing along. But what Nathan does in his provocation of the king is that he puts him on a bit of an emotional journey. Now, we've been doing the Psalms for a couple of weeks now. We had Mark challenging us all to truth and to honesty with God and with, the, um, with each other. And we had Gemma a few weeks ago talking about going on a bit of an emotional journey and coming out the other side. Um, I'm going to borrow from a guy called Walter Brueggemann, who's a great Old Testament scholar. If you're a bit bored one day, 
and you fancy a bit of a browse, I would say go to Brueggemann because he's great. But he talks about the challenge that um, the Old Testament prophets and Nathan in particular does to David is he faces him with the reality of his situation, causes him to truly grieve what's happened in order that he can have hope. Because the opposite of that is being in denial. And I don't mean the river in Egypt. You just ignore what you've done. You justify it, you explain it away. It's not you, it was the other guy. But that leads to a place of spiritual despair. And we know that David has been in places of despair in the past. Darkness is my only friend. So I can't quite remember what psalm that is, but I mean, that's pretty despairing, isn't it? That is depth of depression, if you ask me. So Nathan is challenging David with reality. And the first half of our psalm here. There we go. Have mercy on me according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. So there are two realities here. Firstly, God is loving. God is fully loving, compassionate, gracious, merciful. The second reality is David is a sinner. He is mired in sin. He is, yeah, just very, it's, when I was reading this and reflecting on it, it was, I just felt like it was very visceral. He's like, cleanse me, wash me. He is stinky. He has fallen in the poo and he wants some cleaning. He's not like, oh, slightly boo-booed. No, he's like, wash me with hyssop. This is like a sacrificial cleansing he's needing. He wants to be cleansed from the inside out. He has a sense of his being very wrong from birth. He's got a sense of shame. Hide your face from me. He's pleading again and again, and there's this emphasis, wash and cleanse, wash and cleanse. His grief, his reality of his situation is really real. It's really visceral. His awareness of his dirt and his grime. He is not justifying. He is not in any form of denial. He is fully mourning. Oh, Psalm 88. Sorry, just see my note for earlier on. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. Why are they blessed? Because they will be comforted. I, um, I, did a quite, I did a reflection many years ago on the Beatitudes, which actually we're doing after Christmas. That's something to look forward to. Um, and my sense of my sin, I, had, I was the prodigal son story and uh, Rembrandt's painting of it, if anyone knows it, 
is a particular favorite of mine. And just that sense of the sun in rags in the pigsty and the shame and the stench and the grime under his fingernails, just that very visceral, nothing is going to make me clean right now. But God, this is what we're seeing here in this psalm. Cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. He is desperate for some comfort. He's desperate for some cleansing. But amongst all the demands of the psalm, and it is quite demanding, he goes through, cleanse me, hide from me, create in me, do not do this, restore in me. David has a sense, he's got a taste, he's got a memory, doesn't he, of the salvation that he has enjoyed. Um, Restore to me, this is verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Creating me a pure heart. He understands what it's like. And the salvation he's enjoyed. He knows that the pure heart that he wants is available. And then he moves towards, in 14 and 15, um, praise and singing, sacrifice and teaching. He wants to teach truth. Open my lips. And I will declare your praise. He wants to use his experience to help keep others on the straight and narrow. He's no longer snared in that spiral of sin that I was talking about. He accepts the consequences of his action. And if you read further into 2 Samuel, one of the consequences is that the child um, dies. And then he's just like, right, okay. That's my, that's my sin, that's, that's a result of my sin, and he kind of moves on, as it were. But it's because he takes, I don't say takes it on the chin, but he moves out of um, mourning and repentance and says, yeah, God, that is just, and moves on. But he has a vision for the future, doesn't he? In verse 18, May it please you to prosper Zion and build up the walls of Jerusalem. And it's that idea that he's gone from this place of, before Nathan brings this reality, he's just ignoring the situation. And then Nathan, embodying the word of God, challenges him out of denial and out of despair onto the road of hope and salvation and he can move from his own sense of sin his own sense of guilt his sense of shame and God's interaction with him towards something bigger a wider vision the goodness of God blessing the city how can he do that because he's experienced the goodness of God in this psalm we see him experiencing the goodness of God and he's reminded God is good he can cleanse me I've got to tell everyone else. He can, he can help our city. He can be a blessing to our whole city. Now, 
I think as a society, I'm going to go for some sweeping generalizations now, just be warned. We've, I think we've perhaps forgotten how to deal with sin, haven't we? Our Christian foundations have been somewhat eroded, and we seem to be swinging from either denial and despair, broken Britain, oh, don't read the papers if you want to feel cheery, our leaders lie, there's corruption, it's all quite miserable, isn't it? To the puritanical zeal on the other side of, you don't agree with my orthodoxy, so I'm just going to cancel you and shut you up. None of these offer hope, do they? That's not a hopeful situation. Both stem from a fear of shame and of guilt. But Nathan and David, the Bible show us another way. And so my challenge for us today is that we are bearers and ministers of a hope-filled reality. Now, we're not wearing hair shirts and self-flagellation each week. I mean, you're very welcome to wear a hair shirt if you'd like, but I wouldn't encourage it. It's not very comfortable. Um, We're not walking around saying what awful, dirty, rotten sinners we are. That's not filled with hope. And we're not living in cheap, grace-soaked reality where everything is blessed and everything is wonderful and isn't it great? No. But perhaps we're trying to see the world a little bit more as God does. What does God say in Genesis? This is good. You are good. All of creation is good, including the chaotic bits. Full of possibility. Yes, Try and get better. Yes, there's still a road of redemption to travel, but we can move forward in hope. So, how do we do this? I mean, uh, Sarah just totally started me off a 10 there. Repentance, forgiveness, it's a solid one. The Bible, as you rightly pointed out, says quite a lot about repentance. Also says quite a lot about sin. Uh, see, I'm not so down with the PowerPoint. Sarah had it all like embedded. I was going to make those pop up one at a time. G- give myself away now. So, confess your sins to one another, James 5.16, in order that you may be healed. There is real power in confessing your sins to each other, in hearing someone else say, Jesus forgives you. The sacramental power, there's something of the Holy Spirit that happens when we unburden ourselves and someone says, you're forgiven. Tip from the top, do not say, yeah, I've done that too. That's not helpful (laughs) when someone's unburdening themselves. And don't say, oh, I'd never do that. You're awful. Also not helpful. Just hold the space for them. Let them confess. Let them tell you. Why they find it difficult. Oh, now, um, I need my prop. Anyone know what this is? This is a spur. And this was randomly my leaving present from my previous workspace. I'm still, two years later, I'm still wondering, is this a compliment <laughs> or a passive-aggressive signal about my conversational style? I'm not sure. This is a spur. The Bible says, is that going to... No, it's actually quite heavy. I'll pop it down here. The Bible says we are to spur one another on to love and good deeds in Hebrews 10. 
that's not a gentle, oh, you th I think you should. That's literally an iron spike in your bottom or other parts. Um, it's uncomfortable spiking. When was the last time you had an uncomfortable conversation? When has someone loved you enough to say, that thing you did, that thing you said, really? Was that helpful? Because when someone has that uncomfortable conversation, they're saying, I love your soul more than your sin. And that is a good thing. You want soul friends in your life. You want people who have the courage and the gumption, who brace themselves and say, do you know what? That wasn't the best part of you speaking right there or acting. That was the not so nice part. And we want that part to go down so the glory can go up. So spur one another on to love and good deeds. And Wesley actually is quite good at this. We're going to come to him in a minute. But just um, find someone that you trust and be accountable with them. Say, can I tell you my sins? This is not a place for gossip. This is not a place for being like, oh, yeah, you rotter. This is a sacred space where someone's asking for help in their journey with God. Be accountable. The more often you do it, the less awkward it gets. Trust me. I've done it for many years, and it is the, one of just the most fruitful hours of my life in each month, is to be like, yeah, this is what's going on. Now, Wesley, of the Methodist stream, he used to um, get his little group together. Uh, there being groups of 10, and they would ask each other some really bone-crunchingly, squeaky-butt-cheek, awkward-level questions. So here they are. Um, am I consciously or unconsciously creating the impression that I'm better than I really am? Am I a hypocrite? Yes. Yes, I am, actually. Um, do I pray about the money I spend? Do I grumble or complain constantly? Possibly, yes. Am I proud? Am I jealous, impure, irritable, critical, touchy, or distrustful? I'm going to leave these questions up here for a while because if they don't provoke you in some way, if they don't make you a bit uncomfortable, you may in fact be in denial and uh, it's good to just be gently spurred on to love and good deeds. Now, why am I talking about this? How is this going to help us be hopeful bearers because if we are regularly receiving that renewing from God, if we're regularly coming to the cross and being, oh man, that was not cool, sorry, and we're receiving his forgiveness, then we are also regularly being encouraged and inspired to the Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, aren't we? We're regularly being lifted. We're regularly having our morning turning to dancing. We're regularly being lifted from glory to glory. And then suddenly our vision moves from, oh, I'm a dirty rotten sinner and I can't do anything, despairing, to, actually, if God can do this for me, maybe he can do it for my neighbors. 
Maybe he can do it for my workplace. Maybe he can do it for my family. If we are regularly choosing to engage with God in this way, we can have hope for our city in spite of its brokenness. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, sorry, I'm really spoiling the next series. Sorry, man. (laughs) Blessed are the pure in heart. You can only be pure if you've mourned. Mourning comes first. Purity is the blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. In Hebrews 12, it says, throw off all that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and run the race marked out for you. And so I guess all I'm encouraging us to do is to run that race. David has created this beautiful psalm as the result of being faced with the reality of his sin. Now, we don't all have to be in such an extreme situation. But are we stuck in despair? Is there any part of your life that you look at and you go, oh, I just don't know how God is going to shift that. That is a thing I've just battled with for 20, 30, 40, however many years, and I just... Have you prayed? Have you fasted? Have you said, God, help me? Have you asked others, can you stand with me? Can you help me? Because then we can move from reality through grief and into hope and into the power of transformation. One short aside before I finish. David was on the roof having sent his armies away. 2 Samuel 11 starts with, in the spring when the kings go to battle. He was not where he should have been. Imagine how different this story would have been if when David was feeling standing on that roof and tempted to sin, if he'd just called a friend and said, I'm feeling really rotten and I don't know what to do about it. I'm feeling a bit wobbly. I'm feeling a bit tempted. He's in what I would call the gray zone. He's in the gray zone and he's about to, like I say, fall down this massive spiral of sin with these massive unintended consequences. Yeah, it's just an interesting thing to ponder. And for all of us, have we got people that we can call when we're feeling meh? And we're feeling like, oh, I'm just about to blow 200 pounds on shoes. Or I'm just about to have three drinks too many. Or watch that thing on the internet that's not helpful. Or do that gambling thing that I really shouldn't. Or have a gossip. Or just be mean to my children or my husband. Like, yeah. Because we all feel, and that's okay. But it's what we do in those moments. But my encouragement to you today is if there is an area of your life that is a bit stuck, speak to someone. Find someone that you trust or that you think, they look pretty trustworthy. Yeah, all right. Speak to them and say, can you pray with me? I'm really struggling with something. And um, be a bit brave. Right, I'm going to pray. Martin, shall we do some worship? Would that be good? Cool.
stand up. I'm going to pray if that's all right, unless you want me to speak. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you bring goodness out of rubbish. That in Nathan's awful life choices, no, sorry, David's, my bad, David's awful life choices and Nathan's great courage to speak to the king, you brought out this amazing psalm. You brought out this pattern of repentance, confession and forgiveness, of grief and hope restored. I pray that we would be those who know our hope restored and who share that hope with those around us. Amen.